Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. I still love that music. And welcome to our podcast. I am Ian, and I am one of the Atheist Kids. And my compatriot over there is... Well, um, something weird seems to have happened, because um, I'm Leo. not Leo. You're not Leo? Who are you? Well, I am Sue, and I'm another Atheist Kid. But Leo is here. I'm here. Yes. Yeah, he's over there in the hammock. You're taking it easy this week, I see. We do all the work. Is that how it goes? Pretty much. <laughs> right, I, uh, we is, all know who Sorry, there's been a female takeover this week. Um, well, good, frankly. <laughs> Only good can come of this. Um, yes, so, uh, we did, uh, a, well, uh, we did our top five films from the 70s, Leo and I, and... Uh, we will eventually do our own top five films of the 80s, but we're going to go through the 80s in more thorough detail before we get there. Um, but today, uh, boys and girls, we have a treat, because we, we have Sue, and Sue has firmly formalized her list of top 80s, uh, top five 80s films. Was Leo and I, we're still going, oh man, it's a hard one, there's so much to choose from. Um, I, think, I think one of the things about the 70s, that um, the end of the 70s when we did that, we kind of had this thing of going, well, we've already done an overview, so, you know, people can keep up with this, I'm sure. I think, I'm, I think I'm fine. No worries. Microphone's there for you, not for me. I'm just here to comment from the sidelines. Um, yes, and um, therefore, I think that we do need a sort of scene setter for the 80s before we actually go year by year, the same way that we had a scene setter in the 70s, before doing 77, 78, you know, all that kind of business. So in that spirit, having someone else who has done a top five films of the 80s, who is not us, so we can save our big finish for the end, is, is a handy thing. And that's, that's why we're, we're taking this slightly unusual format. I think um, also the fact that I didn't do the 70s one because I think my favourite films of the 70s weren't very much in genre to what you guys would have picked. It says my favourite film of the 70s probably would have been something like Grease, which is not very much in genre to your kind of thing that you do but 80s for me was very easy 80s for me was like no I know exactly which films I'd pick and exactly why and exactly what genre they're in so for me that was like no that's what I would do there and why although when we watched 1980s Hawk the Slayer the other day your confidence was shaken wasn't it because you were no <laughs> no it wasn't <laughs> I think we have a new number one Mr. Stalford <laughs> no I I I, I I'm with I'm with the guy in Space Dad actually on this one. <laughs> it's a terrible film, terrible, terrible. Film. <laughs> we will get there in due time. 
our top bottom of the 80s has got to happen at some point, I suppose. But anyway. Uh, I so, in the 1980s well. 80s films for me were something that I grew up with. My dad really kind of... We had VHS and Betamax in our house. So my dad bought him a lot of videos and a lot of Betamax things. And because he was an electronics repair engineer, so he repaired lots of videos and Betamax players. So we always had both in our house. Um, so uh, watching films was pretty commonplace. So you yeah, so, fairly fairly watched. Yeah, so there's uh, a lot of films that I watched that Leo didn't as well, which was kind of odd things. As, as we mentioned before, things like Solar Babies, Millennium was one that you'd never seen. Yes. I'd seen, and things like that. There was a lot of films that I'd seen because my dad just used to bring home vast amounts of videos and things. I like saw that. Millennium at the cinema. I yeah. But you, that, you, that, you, you uh, says yeah, I saw it on DVD when I was a kid and things like that. It was uh, sorry on video when I was a kid. So there's things like that that you know. Um, what was the other one I've made you? I've made you see lots of films that you haven't seen that you were just like, oh wow, I've never seen these films. License to Drive. License to Drive. The Worst Witch I made you watch as well. The film of the Worst yeah. Witch with Tim Curry in it and things like that. I, there's lots of these little weird obscure films that I've made Leo see. Just because I can. As says even back to the 70s films like Amazing Mr. Blunder and things like that, I've made him watch them just because they're treasured and he should. He should have just seen them. So, yeah. So, um, you, you have as an eclectic a choice to film as you do to music. Yes. It? Yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Um, mm, well, I think we should get going with these films that have a personal resonance for you. I mean, it's a favourite. Is not necessarily synonymous with with best. Favorite is a very much more personal yeah. um, appreciation for what they are, and and I suppose uh, should we should we get cracking with them? Should we start making yeah. our way through the? Yes, yeah, let's go through these. And I know no aunt Leo obviously knows because husband and wives they take talk about things. I've been told, but I know nothing. I am as, as dark in this as the audience, so I will be discovering along with you, dear listener. Uh, so yes, let us begin. Uh, Sue, your number five, please. My number five is Flight of the Navigator. Ah. I think ah. I think it's probably one of the best children's family films of that genre. It pipped things like Labyrinth for me because it's more quotable. It's got the kind of... It pipped Ghostbusters, actually, for me because it's quotable. I think Ghostbusters at the time, for me was a little bit too more adult. I think Ghostbusters is ad more adult. I think Flight of the Navigator's got that children's charm. I think it's got great effects. I think it has wonderful, wonderful, wonderful visuals. I think the characters are just brilliant in it. I just think it's a great film overall. I think it's possibly... I mean, the whole quotability of it is just brilliant. I mean, the see you later navigator, the, you know, he said he would just wanted to call home. You know, it's it's just probably one of the funniest, most whimsical films that you could think of, really, as a children's film. It's it's quite interesting because it, it opens up with quite a, quite a sinister mystery yeah. of a boy who disappears and literally turns up years later, having yeah. not changed at all. And yeah. we follow this from the boy's point of view and his confusion on it. And, and that's forget, a very good hook. Don't forget the visual motif at the beginning, yeah. where they keep showing things in the sky that could be flying saucers, and in each case, they turn out not to be. Yeah. And when the flying saucer does turn up, you don't see it. Yeah. It's, it's 
fabulous film. It's a brilliant film. Um, the Flying Saucer itself is beautifully done. I think The Flying Saucer itself, yes. the way it changes shape and the way it moves, and the, I think it's just a brilliant film. I mean, they did spend a lot of budget on that saucer, obviously. Um, the robots, that you know, it's just got... I mean, it beats Space Camp again, which is another one of my favourites. It beats Space Camp because the robot in it was to, in Space Camp I love, but I prefer Max. I, I really do. I prefer, you know, it's just, you know, it's... It's it's just well, also Max gets quite quirky because he absorbs a lot of the kids' sort of pop culture yeah, um, yeah. things into his into his into his, yeah. into his brain as well, uh, and it's also kind of it's a movie of two halves as well because you have the, the first one with the mystery and it, it, there being an alien involved, uh, and then you realise there's the flying saucer they're holding on the premises as well, and then you have him going off in it and him being on the run yeah. in the flying saucer, I suppose it's the half of the film that people remember the most yeah. Um, I, I think we just fun, and it, you're right. It's a really beautiful design to the ship. Um, it can shape shift, and the way it can just make stairs out of shifting metal. Yeah. Yeah. How big is it exactly? Is it is it dimensionally transcendental? I'm trying to remember now. It, it, it did seem like a huge, huge ship. No, no. It's, it's about it, the size. Of, it's like a giant peanut. that's about the size of say yeah. a, uh, a truck. Yeah, and then inside it's about. If you remember, there is a scene where he asks for directions with a guy with a car in a car, and it's not that much bigger than the car. No. If you remember, he lands above the car and goes, "Excuse me, can you tell me where?" And these people are sat in this car looking at them like, "Oh my god!" And it's not that much bigger than this car actually, but it's got all these other alien creatures inside of it as well that he's been collecting from other planets as well, which I really love. And I love the little creature that he takes home with him at the end. And I also yeah. love the relationship between the two brothers in that, mm. when, especially because when he gets goes back into the future, really, he's got that kind of thing going off where his brother, who was actually younger than him, is now older than him. Yes. And that relationship... And it's meant to life... Yeah, a life with his absentee older brother, and, and um, you know, that, and his parents have always missed this son they've lost. Yeah, and he's become a kind of mythic figure in the family, and suddenly he's back again, but yeah. he's been frozen in time. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's strange that the older brother that he really wanted to hang around with at the start of the film is now just this, this kind of little kid. He, he's, yeah. He was. Yeah, that that would that's really interesting, and the fact that when he goes, because spoilers, everyone at the end of the film he's returned to his his proper time. Yeah, as I, as I recall, and he kind of like he's even though he's, he's even though his younger brother is still a kind of like, oh, he's my younger brother. He's kind of cool with him now. Yeah, so it was was kind of kind of neat. I forget though, spoiler alert. I forget why did the alien have to put lots of information into his head. I can't remember something about crash landing or something and not being able yeah. to. I think it was his star charts didn't work, work and he needed it. to yeah. calibrate. Yeah. Mm. Using uh, all available data. Yeah. So he put them in his head to retrieve it and then couldn't send him back because of something to do with body disintegrating or something. So yeah, they were. Yeah. Well, it is a film with no bad guys. Yeah. Really. Is there? There's just the sort of well, the, space si the scientist becomes a kind of he's yeah. I mean, it's one of these films that distrusts doctors. Yeah, he becomes like. But the, the, the point is, but even then, he's not really that bad. He's just like he's unsure of what's going off, really, and it makes him kind of paranoid and kind of you know. Well, the other thing about it is that it's one of those films where even though people with the less yeah. than savoury motivations. They have no real power to do anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, I like Sarah Jessica Parker's character in it. I think she's very warm in that film. I think people forget she's in that film and she's quite a good mm. character in that film. I think it's just the relationship with the brothers is fabulous. I think overall it's a great film and I think even today you could still show it to kids and they'd still enjoy it. Even to, you know, it's one of those films that doesn't need remaking because it's good, it's good as it is. You know, even with all today's technology and today's things that you can do, that film stands up as good. Because mm. it's ju- it's just good. You know, there's nothing you can do to make that film any better. It's just a good film. And yeah, I, I don't I don't recall it being scary as such. It's kind of a wonder about it. Even when you've got the, 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 the flying saucer, which is kind of an unknown sinister thing, I suppose, when you first see it. it yeah. There's still kind of an air of discovery yeah. rather than, than scariness about it all. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I, I I like this choice. It's a good choice. So that would be my number five. So. Perfect. Excellent. Leo, you have anything you wish to add? No, I, I, I'm just happy sitting here. So you I'm go back to eating cake. Sue, <laughs> Sue, so, so I am I am excited now to hear your number four. This one might surprise a few people. Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely adore aeroplanes. I've got a thing for aeroplanes. I'm mute. Carry on. Explain to you why. (laughs) Tell me why. Tell me why. Tell me why. I absolutely adore aeroplanes. It's visually beautiful. Um, If you're into that kind of aeroplanes and things that I'm into, it's visually stunning. Um, Soundtrack and a half. Great romantic interest with Tom Cruise and Kelly McGuinness. Um... It's it all round produces what you want from an action film at that time, really. If you want it, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. It's 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 the whole dynamic between you know Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. You know, even now we're still copying it. You know, in other films we're still copying it. So yeah, I I kind of have to give it a rating up there. I kind of have to go. It's a good film. I think people underestimate how good Top Gun is. It uh, has been it has been parodied an awful lot since, yeah. which is probably hasn't helped it because it's made it seem even more cheesier than perhaps was intended, and it's also seemed to have I don't know because I when I first saw this I was quite well wasn't quite young, but I was not yet old and mature enough. To kind of go, oh, is there a gay subtext going on here? Um, <laughs> um, but but you know, it, it's it, it's kind of been you know, spot the one that's going to die here. One pilot called Maverick, one pilot called Iceman, one pilot called Goose. Yeah. Which one's going to make it to the end of the movie, guys? <laughs> but the whole Goose death thing and his wife being, of course, at the time was Meg Ryan in the film. Um, you know, I kind of. You know, it was it was done really well at the time, and the whole, yeah. you know, I think, as she says, because it's been parodied so much, I actually think the parodies are actually a good compliment to it. I think it just shows, you know, I mean, because the char- what was the Charlie Sheen thing that parodied a lot? Uh, um, it was it was shots part. Hot shot. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Um, that that whole thing to me just is actually a compliment to it. That the fact that it's parodied it because it's like, well it's a compliment to it that you can actually take something and almost poke that much fun at it. But at the same time, the film itself is still good and you can still watch it and still enjoy that film. 
But I mean, I think it is it is a quintessentially 80s film. It's very 80s. There isn't any more 80s than Top Gun. And as hmm. I says, if you're like me, really into aeroplanes and really into motorbikes, aeroplanes, things like that, it's got a bit of that going off for you. You know, it's got it's got some good machinery in there for you. <laughs> um, good good but, machinery porn going on in Top Gun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying. Leo, sorry. We went to see Del Toro's film last night, Pacific Rim, and there was there was references to that, Top Gun references to that in there, and you know you can't help but smile at that, and it's great. I think it's wonderful. To me, I love it. I think it's great. The interesting, the couple of interesting things uh, for me. One, it's uh, one of the first uh, Bruckheimer Simpson movies, uh, latterly just Bruckheimer. Um, oh, you know behind the scenes facts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but the point is that the big action producers, this yeah, yeah. big action movie, and obviously spawned the subgenre uh, of uh, Tom Cruise playing a character who can do anything with a plane, yeah. racing car, sit on top lawnmower, <laughs> cocktail shaker, yeah. autistic brother. He can do anything. Yes. Um, that that film nearly made it into my top five, actually, Rain Man. But it kept, it was kept out because it's not really on genre for you. But it's <laughs> it, you know, Top Top Gun to me has if you want a silly action film, Top Gun's the one you go for. But it does have this thing, and I mean, we were discussing a film earlier, which is going to come up in 1980 in more detail. But uh, they're called The Final Countdown, and there is this thing where you used to have to have the cooperation of the military to, like very heavily to do these incredible scenes and at that point I think that the producers and director and so on really wanted to take advantage of having access to these machines yeah. and I think that is something we've lost because they kind of that that people complain about it being the you know fetishization of military technology and it's like well no because if you compare uh, a modern CG army style film like stealth to these films it's like they they are the ones that fetishize it because they make it in a computer. These people are just trying to exploit the thing they're trying to exploit. They want to film the plane from every angle. They want to do all the crazy aerial shots because hey, who else is doing this? Yeah. You know, this is yeah. a new thing to see. Visually, very very good film. Yeah. Um, just thinking about it, it's 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 interesting that Tom Cruise's character. I don't recall him having any father issues. I'm trying to think of like the tropes of of the male lead, and it, it's, it's strange because he starts off the film. His character journey is he has to he has to become slightly less cocky and less confident and get real. Yeah. He starts he out just being very good, yeah. not taking it so good. He doesn't even have to take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because it's, it's not as exactly a coming of age. It's a kind of like well, I'll just need to focus a bit more and deal with some sad stuff that happened. <laughs> yeah. He does have massive daddy issues, but it's when Goose dies, of course, spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen the film, but yeah, when Goose dies, of course, he kind of doubts himself. And it's that doubt. Mm. And ice, the whole Iceman, you stay still dangerous, dude. You're dangerous. I won't fly with you. But his cockiness in the end is what saves all of them's lives, if you get what I mean. And his arrogance is what, you know, his kind of risk-taking is actually what saves it's, people's lives. You're going to do also, what? The famous line in the cockpit. I'm going to, I'm going to hit the brakes. I'll fly right by you. They, you're going to do what? You know, it's, it's still the best line in that film. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, brilliant film. It, it's also, it's also quintessentially that American thing of being the best of the best. Yeah. 
the competition, the, the you know, yeah. and, you know, the fact that they shake hands at the end and kind of get, you know, agree to disagree and kind of just go, you know what, you're still dangerous, but I like you now. It's kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah, it kind of... They do learn to respect each other. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's quite interesting, but you'd think the dynamic they would have been trained for was you, you guys were a team, we've got to work together on the same side. The fact that they kind of hate each other as rivals, bizarrely. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we on the same um, Air Force? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Interesting choice. And I honestly haven't seen Top Gun in decades, so I'm, I'm kind of clutching at, you know, fading memories of it. But it, it's such a kind of... You saw it, and you kind of felt I'd seen Top Gun. And I saw it again a few years later. Um, so when, when did you first see Top Gun? What was your first, when was your first encounter with the film? I think, um, again, I think it was one of those films my dad... Actually, no, I think it was one of the films my grandfather probably brought home for us to watch, because my grandfather was obsessed with aeroplanes, and I, he kind of passed that obsession on a little bit. Um, hmm. And I think this is where it came from with me, because it's it's something that reminds me of my grandfather. Because hmm. um, uh, he's obsessed with aeroplanes, and especially dogfighting and that kind of thing with aeroplanes. And... It kind of passed some of that on, and I think Top Gun's the epitome of that for me. So I'm totally watching Top Gun later. It's on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch Top Gun later. Damn. But one of the th- the other things I love about it is most people forget the soundtrack. The soundtrack is actually really cool for Top Gun. Um, Eddie Van Halen's whole guitar riffing thing and that is absolutely brilliant. I don't care what anybody says. You know, it's got an amazing epic soundtrack, and it's well, it, it's, it's it's just so eighties. It's yeah, well, it set the tone for the eighties in some yeah, ways. Yeah, it's got that perfect soundtrack, and there's not a lot of films that. It's, and that's another reason I picked it is because there's a lot of films that kind of epitomise their genre by soundtrack. Blade Runner's one of those, you know what I mean? Uh, Ferris Bueller's one of those. It has that. Um, Breakfast Club's one of those. It has those soundtracks that kind of make the film, if you get what I mean. And Top Gun's, Top Gun's one of those as well. The soundtrack helps make the film. If you get I'm surprised you say people don't remember the soundtrack because like, the soundtrack is one of the things that most vividly comes back, like that yeah. little guitar thing you've got about taking my breath away. Yeah. Um, all that is, yeah. Yeah. So to me, again, it's the it's the connection to me with music and visual and you know. So you've got several things I love in that film. You've got a good film that's just a generally good film, but you've also got aeroplanes and you've also got a good soundtrack, and that's me happy. Yeah, so I was I was quite a happy bunny with Top Gun because well I think people people, people may ridicule Top Gun but I don't think any, anyone said I was so bored watching Top Gun yeah so yeah I think people should give Top Gun more of a chance because to me it's a good film and to me it's got a great soundtrack and to me it's visually stunning it's visually beautiful so yeah it, that, it raises an interesting point as it become because it's become a, a thing of satire yeah and an icon of the eighties. As, as it become like slightly ridiculous to us, so because so we're resisting it in terms of you know it, it's kind of touch point thing in cinema. Yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, oh well. Uh, I think I think any any other thoughts lurking around at all about Top Gun? No, I think it's time to move on to the number three. I think you're right. I think. You're right. Okay. Uh, hit us with your number three. Not so much controversial, but more. Back onto the family whimsical, never-ending story. Ah, 
Yes. How can you not have that in your top five if you like fantasy, if you like action, if you like story, if you like if you like drag flying dragons, if you like you know what I mean? Action, if you like anything, you know what I mean? It's beautiful. Well, if, if you like those things, beautiful. but isn't the conceit of the film that though that whole genre of yeah. fantasy is dying, the very imagination it is held in is whittling away. Yeah. Uh, which always stuck me as, as, quite, as quite grim. What year did it come out in? Uh, can someone quickly verify? Because I'm like trying 84, to. 84, 85, something like that. But yeah. Leo's just having a look now. But it was. It's also one of the films that made me cry like a baby when I was a child. We're talking about that. See, 84. I knew I was right somewhere. <laughs> 84. So, yeah, I cried like a baby because, of course, a Treyu's horse dies in it. And Spoiler! Yeah, it's just. <laughs> you know, it's just sad. It's funny. It's. It's got everything everybody should want. I like things that make me that emote things in me, and that makes me laugh, cry. It gives you some frightening things in it. It's got so it 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 moves emotions, but at the same time, it's beautiful. It's again, it's visually beautiful. It's absolutely stunningly produced and directed. It it's just beautiful. It's. I, d- I don't think I rem. I, again, I, I labyrinth. It beat labyrinth out. It beat dark crystal out. It beat a lot of other children's things out, because it's just the epitome to me of how things should be done as far as children's films go. Um, the the kid in it's called Sebastian, if I remember. Yes, correctly. Sebastian. Yeah. It's it's quite interesting. He's pretty much archetypal. He's got a troubled family situation. He's being bullied, and he likes reading books. I mean, I, I think it's a little wonder that quite, quite a lot of us just kind of got shoveled in this film, going, "Yes, yes, yes, yes." I I totally get this. Let's go back to the magic fantasy world, please. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just, yeah, it's just beautiful, though. I mean. You know, the rock eaters amazing in it. The wolf that's, you know, the nothing that's coming after the world and destroying the world and the wolf that's bringing it forward. And, you know, it's just amazing. And the whole Atreyu thing, you know, who's the warrior, this little kid warrior who's trying to, yeah. you know what I mean, solve the world's problem. He's, he's done quite well for such a young lad, really, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, and, and a very softly talking, whispering princess. I remember... Yeah. Who I remember was very beautiful, sat on top of this ivory tower, who, you know, it was just, it, and you, I remember seeing the ivory tower, the first time you see that ivory tower thing with the, again, and you get the beautiful soundtrack with the beautiful visual, and the ding, ding, ding going off, and you just think, wow, you know what I mean? And, it's, and again, great soundtrack, great soundtrack. Yes, I, I think I will have to uh, come clean here. I know we've even got the DVD song. Have you watched the DVD? I don't know if I have, but I think um, it, I think it's around somewhere. I remember, I remember three things about this movie. Oh. The DVD cover, because we have the DVD. Yeah. The song Never by Lamar. Never ending story. That's the one, that's the one. Number one, number one, we have to pay copyright. Uh, and, and the fact that he shouts something incomprehensible out of the window during a storm. Yeah. Yes, what does he shout? Apparently, I've always wanted to know. Apparently, if you put the subtitles on, it tells you, doesn't yeah, it? Apparently, yeah, apparently, yes. Apparently, it does tell you if you put the subtitles on, but um, I don't know. A lot of people, there's a lot of... Apparently, you can find out on Wikipedia as well what he shouts out at the end. 
but yeah, it's it's his mother's name or something, which he shouts out. At oh yeah, no, 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 it's the prince. Oh, well, he has to give the princess a name. Uh, yeah, which is his mother's name. Mother's he shouts mother's his name, mother's yeah. name, which is the prince that becomes the princess's name. Ooh, um, that's a, a psychologist field day. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is one of those films that. I think I'm not talking about the sequels here. I'm just talking about the first never-ending story. That it, it could, you know, it, it could spawn quite a few essays just analysing its sort of metatextual merits that are going on, story inside the story, and what all these yeah. symbols mean and things like that. Um, the weird thing is, all the sequels that came after just didn't do it any justice afterwards. No. A bit like the Wizard of Oz thing. The Wizard of Oz thing, you know, the sequels afterwards didn't really pertain to the same heights as the Wizard of Oz, if you get what I mean, which is strange because this it's the, the Wizard of Oz sequels actually were just as good. Return to Oz and all those kind of stuff were just as good. Um but the never ending story sequels were a bit terrible, I must admit. They weren't brilliant. The Jonathan Yeah, I mean I, I wasn't gonna hold them against you yeah. in your decision. Yeah. So I think I think a film is allowed to stand on its own apart from, you know, it's in- incredibly appalling these were of course the days of that uh, graph we talked about where you took the box office take reduced it by an appropriate amount and that set the budget for the next film you yeah. know what I mean yeah well the sequels were some of the sequels were absolutely atrocious um, which I felt bad for some of the people who were in some of the sequels because you know it's like well sorry you, you just got shafted um, but... as I understand it the, the second film was like he actually goes into the fantasy world and confronts the nothings. Yeah. Uh, and and the third film is this strange abomination where they sort of go into the world for a little while and then come out with like a wishing yeah. well. I, yeah. And then the rest of the movie is spent with the, him and the bullies fighting over the wishing well item. Yeah. Which, you fail at making these movies. I mean... Yeah. And I don't know what the fourth one is. I've never seen it. So. There's a fourth one? Yes, My. there's a fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is the never-ending story, I suppose. <laughs> but yes, um, so yeah, it's a bit of a weird situation, it's a bit of a weird one, but yeah, the the first one is still... Again, it's a film that, like The Flight of the Navigator, you can still put on for children now, and they can, and adults now, and they can still enjoy it. And that's the thing that I think stands up. Anything that you can still watch now, and it still stands up, to me is... A I don't know, all starting in quicksand, I, I would hesitate before putting that in front of my niece. <laughs> but if she was 15 or 16 and she would say, oh, yeah, what a, you, know what I mean? you can't tell me she, she wouldn't enjoy that as a film. This is what I'm saying. You, this, you know, I mean, I, I watched that film when I was quite young and I mean, compared to what some kids watch nowadays, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of love for these kind of films that I think people forget as this Princess Bride Labyrinth um Flight of the Navigator, you know, Never Ending Story. People forget the kind of love for those kind of films that, you know, kids today are too busy watching things that are a bit more adult than that. And, you know, you can take kids back to that kind of, you know, fantasy and romanticisedness of the world and give them something a little bit weirder to hold on to. I don't know. Give them a dream to hold on to. So to me, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful film. Probably one of the best films for children. End of story. Okay. So, Leo sat there going, do, do you only remember the Lamar soundtrack? <laughs> Is that yeah. it? Is yeah. that it? You don't I remember really, any? I, don't, I, don't really, I couldn't really comment on the rest of the movie. 
uh, at this particular time. Which seems strange to me, considering you own a copy. Well, we'll have to watch it for, for 1984, so... Yeah. We'll follow it under research and make it tax-adaptable. Right, excellent. I, I feel we've... I, I, there isn't too much I can say about it, because I haven't seen it too often. And, and again, not in a long while, because it's not a film you would, I, I've actively sought out. Um, so I kind of remember the beginning, I remember a few bits in the middle, and I know the end, but I'm quite vague about, you know, he, there's this hero gets sent off on this long yeah. journey, and, you know, he goes through places, meets yeah. Jan Rockputz and loses his horse, and it and sort of ends, where it, it, bizarrely, in my memory for some reason, it's it's in, like, the princess's bedchamber, and the whole kingdom is collapsing, and basically yeah, just through after him. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, anyway, still think it's a great film. I think you boys should watch well, it. It is. It is your top uh, five films of the eighties. You cannot be wrong because it's your opinion. If you know what I mean, it's like. Well, I'm going to make Leo watch it again just so he can he can agree with me that it's brilliant. Well, some things <laughs> makes you watch. So fair enough. Number two, I'm quite disturbed. Uh, how are we doing for time? We're getting through this list at a fair lick, or are we kind of no, going no, through the nice? We're doing all right. The, the, the man behind the curtain says we are going at a fine speed. So, Sue, give us a number two. Abyss. Or The Abyss. Aha. Um, I think it's a film that gets ignored by James Cameron. I actually think it's possibly a film that is the epitome of visual effects. I think it, a lot of films that have been around since 1989, because that's when that film was made, owe that film a debt of gratitude. Um, it's beautiful looking. It's, I think, I, yeah, without without it, the water creature, have the T one thousand. Yeah, it's a bit slow. I must admit, it has a bit of a slow story. It's a bit of a slow burning story, but I can't doubt how visually impactful it is, how nice a story it is, how beautiful that film is, how breathtaking it's breathtaking that's that's the difference between that film and every other one i've talked about it's breathtaking it's breathtakingly beautiful and it's underestimated in my view as far as the james cameron film is concerned because everybody goes on about titanic and they go on about avatar james cameron pushes visual effect limits in pretty much every film he ever does but that was the beginning of it that was the beginning of him really really pushing effects and without it, I don't think a lot of films ever would have got made. I think a lot of films owe it a massive debt of gratitude. Um, it's, it's definitely the uh, start of his obsession with deep water diving. Um, and yeah, I was, it, I had, this film does get a lot of flood of flack. You're quite right. And the, the old joke about oh, the abyss tells us a bit short. Should have been called abysmal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do know some people who really do really are charmed by this film. And, you know, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story about uh, a man and a woman who are married and it's the strength of their marriage that saves them. Like, like, and there's metaphors of that throughout, like the one part where the safety door shuts. Yeah. And he puts his hand out to stop it, otherwise he'll get cut off and drown, presumably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's his wedding ring that jams the door from sealing completely. It's like, there's a metaphor for the film. He's literally yeah. saved by his marriage. Yeah. It's a charming, charming film. It's a, it's, it's, and as I said, there's a lot of films that even if you don't like the story, visually, there's nothing I think 
before that that can impact it. I don't think anything before that film could has pushed the limits of boundaries of what visually was shown before that film. It's absolutely stunning visually, and I think James Cameron gets doesn't get appreciated for that, and I think it's a shame because. I can name you not just the Terminator franchises, but a lot of other films and a lot of other TV series that owe that film a massive debt of gratitude. Waterworld, mm. for example. <laughs> Stargate, no, no. for example. Yeah. The reason I say Waterworld is because <clears throat> the film was filmed on a, a gigantic underwater tank. It was the first, like it was filmed entirely underwater. Yeah. Like properly underwater. And <clears throat> I think possibly when they were worried about Waterworld, Kevin Costa pointed to the events went, they filmed that whole thing underwater. We'll be able to do this, no problems. But it's... It's not... Uh, I mean, you tell me a film that it hasn't impacted. There's a lot of visual effects in films nowadays that, oh, that whole CGI thing, that whole creating things out of computers, that whole playing with effects thing, a massive thank you. Well, all of them, yeah, really. That's what I'm saying. You, th- a lot of films now, if not all of them, owe that film a massive thank you. Thank you, know, and it's like people forget that. People go. And I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong here. It's a film, and th- I know there's some military idiots in in the movie. Yeah. But they're, they're not bad guys. I mean, Michael Bean goes mad because he has a pressure problem. Yeah. And, and goes paranoid. Yeah, uh, and he he dies like pretty much two thirds into the movie, or maybe even halfway, yeah. as I recall. And then it's just them dealing with the crisis. Yeah. So it's not really a film of villains. It's again, I mean, you know, spoiler alert: the big alien spaceship at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, massive um, alien spaceship. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the aliens are beautiful again, though hmm. visually, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just there's as she says, there's no real. There's no real feeling. The danger's there because of the ocean. The ocean's the danger. It's not. There's no bad guy, really, as you said. You know, it's hmm. the perils, the ocean itself. If you get what I'm it is, like, it's I'll, almost a man nature thing going off. At the, you know. It is. It's a, it's a very dangerous environment. It's, it's like outer space. Yeah. You know, it's it's, the, it's a, we're inside our pressure tin cans. Without these yeah. tin cans, we are dead. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the, there was oh, the, the, quite horrific moment. Where is like they've only got like one suit or something, and yeah. so she let herself drown, effectively. And they had the water so cold, you'll probably be able to revive me when you drag me back to the uh, to the base. So that, that was it was actually quite uh, when you when she's drowning in his in his arms whilst he's safe inside the suit. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that sticks in my head about it, I think I was quite I thought I was like I thought that's quite good the fact the aliens come to Earth and they're just going down to the ocean. I say, like, well, that seems like a perfectly sensible thing to do if you're an alien. Why on earth do you yeah. want to hang around yeah. on, the, on the land part with all, yeah. all the shooty humans yeah. uh, when there's so much life down there in the ocean? And it, this is mainly an, an ocean world. Um, so I thought that was like, yes, that's quite clever what the aliens did yeah. there. Um, I also, I mean, I love when they meet the aliens. I love the whole, you know, gentleness of that situation. Because that yeah, they're, they're gone... benevolent. Yeah, that could have gone quite horribly, but they they did it so gently, which is kind of again, it's part of the charm of the film, the gentleness of it all. It's beautiful. It's just so again, it owes a, a lot of films owe that film a debt of gratitude. There's a lot of films that would never have got made 
And James Cameron gets a lot of stick for that film. And he shouldn't. does. It's not... Shouldn't. It's, shouldn't get stick. No, no. I, I don't think it's a badly put together film. I think it's a film... James Cameron always likes to kind of take his time. Yeah. Um, with his characters. That's certainly true. But it's, it's also unmistakably a James Cameron film, I felt, as well. Yeah. It's, it's very strongly something that he would make. Yeah. Which you could also deduce from the guest, from the cast as well, perhaps. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, I've never been offended by The Abyss. I saw The Abyss, and I think I saw the extended edition as well, so I was a really good boy. And, and I was like, well, that was all right. Yeah. It didn't seem that bad. No, it wasn't, it think... involved people running down corridors, flooding, shooting at aliens. Um, but, uh, that was fine. I mean, I look at things like, we watch Prometheus, and I look at things like that, and I just go, yeah, I'd still rather watch a breast. I'd still rather watch a breast, because I prefer well, that gentle, beautiful, kind of visual, spectacular, kind of... It's just so... Well, it's just, well, in a lot of ways, more cradling, it's more gentle, it's much more... I know, would agree with you, Ed, because it, it's it's not just the fact that you know, people people pick on Prometheus, but it it does have to be said. There's a lot of characters in there who act in a very stupid yeah. way, uh, and in Abyss, I don't recall anyone being. No, they're not stupid. deliberately stupid. Everybody's trying to do what they're supposed to be doing, and yeah. things sometimes go a bit wrong, and they do their best by that situation, and that that's you know. When, when, the army do something. This is before Michael Bean goes bonkers. The army do something, and it has ramifications. Yeah. The basis leaking almost certainly died. Yeah. And, and Michael Bean's character just like shrugs and goes, sorry, it was orders. Yeah. Uh, the lead's just kind of like, save it for the inquest is kind of like his yeah. reaction. Yeah. Because it's like, we're all down the situation, we've got to get through this, we'll, we'll mm. argue about it, we're back up top. Yeah. It's like, you know... Ed Harris. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But it's, sens- it's sensible. It's it's. But that's what I think people found boring, that they weren't all beating each other up and it wasn't aliens or it wasn't anything like that. It wasn't people just beating each other up and arguing with each other. It was people doing... It was gentle. It was calm. Well, yeah. it so was... there's a reason why... I did one, one actor whose name I can't remember. Michael Bean's character was, 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 was disturbing because he was... When he goes off, he's unpredictable, and that's why yeah. he's scary. And he's unpredictable yeah. in, in, a, in a situation that is already very dangerous already. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, he, he does die before quite a way before the end of the movie as well, doesn't he? There's this yeah. good gap where yeah. it's just them was going. It's about, right, I think it's about it's halfway through, isn't it, or somewhere around there? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's quite a long way of the movie to go. But that's the other thing because it's so slow and gentle. I think some people find that quite well. Now, what are you going to do? do oh yes, um, <laughs> and and um, breathing liquid oxygen yeah. as well. Yeah. And. Um, Oh yeah, and I also remember the bit where he's at the end. He's, type, he's typing his message, but he can't talk. He's breathing liquid oxygen. Yeah. And of course, he's dying of oxygen starvation, so he starts to lose the ability to type. Yeah. And he just wants to say, "I love you." Yeah. You know, little things like that. It's much more of a relationship story. Yeah. In that. Yes. I think interesting. Anybody who likes visuals, anybody who likes a good story about relationships and about. People who like things that are slow burning, who like things that are cradling, who like things that are gentle, and anybody who appreciates the fact that this film did build a lot of foundations for other films will like Abyss. And I think that's as simple as that. Um, Thinking of, over your first four films, I'm trying to think of, of something. I mean, all the films you picked have kind of had texture to them. You know, yeah. I, 
I instantly get the vibe of that movie in my head. It's it, yeah. even if it was like, oh, oh yeah, I've thought about the film in years, but um, yeah, it's it's been interesting. But the most interesting is yet to come, because now we're on to numero uno. Well, the most interesting I can talk about the most as well, which is and the reason I picked it the most, um, Lost Boys. Huh. Huh. Um, because to me. Lost Boys does everything in one film. Lost Boys what? is a horror film. It's a teen comedy film. It's it killed it killed off all the John Hughes movies for me because it does all the John Hughes movies for me. So I didn't need to put Weird Science in. I didn't need to put Sixteen Candles in, even though I love those films because Lost Boys does all of that. It does the teen angst for me. Um, I didn't need to put any horror films in because it does horror. It's got vampires in it, you know. Um, I didn't need to worry too much about loads of action films because it's got action in it. It's got comedy in it, so I didn't need to worry too much about most comedy films because it's got comedy in it. Um, it literally is the epitome of, well, if you're going to combine 80s films together, that's it. That's how you... <laughs> that's it. That's the epitome. If you're going to go, well, I want a bit of something that's action, comedy, horror teeny, fun, you know, that's it. That's the one you pick up. That's the one you go, there you go, this is the Lost Boys, go and have fun, go and watch it's, that. It's, it's quite interesting in, in that it's it's reasonably well-grounded in the fact yeah. that, as I recall, it's a div- divorcee mum moves to a new town and her, and her oldest son gets in with a bad crowd. Yeah. Uh, which is which is a very believable <laughs> plotline, but they just have to be vampires. Yeah, they're all <laughs> so, vampires. <laughs> they're all vampires. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting. You picked Lost Boys, huh? This is the first time I really noticed Keith Sutherland. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's and Keith Sutherland in it. It's got Jason Patrick in it. Of course, it's got the two Corys in it. Um, so you've got the Corey brothers in there. It's got Diane Weist in there. So you've got you know you've got comic relief. You've got you know you've got, you've got your brother. The younger brother's like, of course, there's vampires. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and they're trying to unmask the uh, chief vampire who they yeah. think is the is the guy that, that his mum is dating. <laughs> yeah. Naturally. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, it's, it's comedy, it's horror, it's, it's teen drama, it's, it's fun. It's great it's, fun. It's um, quintessential 80s. You just really couldn't, if they did, if they, have they remade it? They, well, probably someone's tried to remake it at some point. It wouldn't be surprised no, if they have. No, they haven't tried no. to remake it. They, they have not tried There are, there are sequels in the franchise, but, Ah, I did not know. For me, Lost Boys was always the film that got put on and ended term at school when they had just willed out the video and let just make the kids watch it, and that's that's your school time for your last day of term. It, it was always Lost Boys, so I knew it quite well, and I haven't really sought it out in the intervening years very often. Um, the first so time I, I saw the Lost Boys, I really didn't like it. Really? Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, really, this is... Because I think the problem was... Compared that... to Twilight, seriously. Well, yeah, but that's not the first time I, know, I saw it. I'm Twilight just... wouldn't exist for I know, but I'm just saying, yeah. 18 years or something at the time. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it was just the fact that I think people were, like, so determined that it was great and it was really good. You have to approach it, I think, not expecting much. Um, and if you... if and then at the minute that you watch it in that, oh, I'm not really expecting much. Oh, 
oh, I didn't really enjoy this. I mean, I was only paying half of an eye to it, and I did get all the major points. But then the point about it is, I think there's a bit where the devil is in the detail, yeah. where it's like, you you may not like it if you're not in the mood for, um, if you want a serious uh, horror movie or vampire movie, or you want something, like, it's all fairly obvious, but the point is that it's not, it, that's not the point, the point is not for it to be subtle or to be, you know, groundbreaking or to be... And that all of the things about it that are subtle and groundbreaking are buried away in a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is fairly, you know, Joel Schumacher was, it's quite an arch movie. It's quite, okay, so we're doing a lot of this at the moment. I'll do it and I'll do it exactly the same way as everyone else. And at the same time, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Look yeah. at this, look yeah. at that. Yeah. I mean, again. I Strong soundtrack again, you know, very teenage, very rebellious. Yes, it is. It, very... it is very teenage. Yeah. Very uh, and teenage. Um, also, because the thing that leads him into the vampires is he's chasing a girl, as I seem yeah. to recall. Jamie Girl. Um, yes. Good old Jamie. Yes. <laughs> and of course, it, it ends with them having defending the house from the vampires yeah. coming in to go exact revenge. Yeah. As well, so you got that kind of, you know, and defending the, the home at the end. And the grandfather, that's one thing I didn't like about this town, all the goddamn vampires, and they just look at him like, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's again, quotability, it's got the quotability factor. Grandpa gets all the best lines. I don't know the Frog mm. Brothers with how much should we charge them for this. It's quite oh yeah, there's all that <laughs> the, as well. The Frog Brothers are quite good. You know, I, th- I think some of these sort of younger brothers, teenage friends, were kind of like, oh, they they were kind of the kids that were doing the rounds in these sorts sorts yeah. of movies. Yeah. But again, it beat <laughs> things like License to Drive for me. It beat things like that because again, you take all those teen dramas and all those teeny things, and it's in that film. And you can take as says all the horror things at that time, and it's got horror in it. It's got the horror. If you slow down, because I used to do this when I was younger. The bit at the campfire bit, yeah. you can actually mm. see them ripping the head off because they speed it up in the film. But if you slow that down, that scene, scene by scene by scene, and just go through it on slow motion, you can actually see the bit where the vampire rips the guy's head open. If you get what I mean, so that's quite cool and quite gruesome. But yeah, <laughs> sorry, not that I <laughs> terrible or anything. Well, no, because. No. <laughs> I was just thinking about because vampires are, you know, they're, they're lauded as a metaphor for sexuality, and, yeah. and so you kind of have the oldest son, and he, he gets in with this with this bad crowd, but he likes this girl, and this girl kind of likes him, and he's he's yeah. a nice guy deep down, so he manages to, to extract her from this from this bad gang of people. Um, so yeah, it's it, it kind of like oh, it's, the metaphor is kind of there. I mean, it ends with a vampire fight in the house, but. Yeah. Um, on another level, it's also well, he falls in with a bad set and one girl there, and he starts going out with her, and this pisses off the gang because he's aloof with the gang from the gang now. Yeah, and also has that kind of he be, he starts becoming a vampire as well, and I think the only other film which really did that to my mind was Near Dark, I want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, interesting again, choice. It's the, again, it's got the brother relationship thing going off there with this with the brother going, you know, you wait till mum finds out you're a vampire, you know, that kind of thing going off, and it's like, 
you know, and him going, Mum, he's a vampire. And, he, and then she going, what are you talking about? He's, he's a vampire. You know, it's like, oh, dear. It's that kind of thing with this mother who's, like, walking around completely oblivious to these two boys. It has to be said, when you actually think over the way that the, the metaphor of the vampire in this, uh, or the way that it's exploited, it's like, oh, right, so what we're saying here is that uh, becoming a vampire or hanging out in this vampiric crowd is like the, the older brother, uh, Jason Patrick, yeah. has to resist these urges to fall into decadence. Yeah. And all this, it's about how you're Very growing pains. Yeah, that way. how yeah. the growing pains are about how, you know, the teenager has to the, uh, have this decision between, you know, they have all these appetites, but if they give in to them, then they'll be lost. And, you know, you know, it's like interesting that, you know, then, then, um, you know, you've got that coming out in what, what was it, 86? Yeah. 87. And then everybody acted like it was such a big thing when Twilight did it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but Twilight did it in a ham-fisted, obvious yeah. way, yeah. and then was denied. It was like, no, that's not what I was trying to do at all. Whereas the Lost Boys never tried to say that it was doing that. It just did it. And whether you noticed or not was completely up to but you. The other thing I appreciate about Lost Boys is it started a lot of good careers. You know, mm. and... Alex Winter started his career and, you know, there was a few people who had careers out of Lost Boys, you know, it was, you know, it was... But, that, I mean, in in the same way that the Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper two-hander in True Romance yeah. is the is the scene that is arguably too good for the movie yeah. due to the fact that after you've seen that scene, there's pretty much not much else to see in the whole movie mm-hmm. uh, that is going to be of that quality. So, you know... Uh, until Kiefer Sutherland did 24, it's arguable that he never really, never really got back up to that status again of having that thing. It's certainly, you know, Jason Patrick's probably his best movie. Uh, the Corys as well, they had a couple more notable, uh, moments, but that was really it. The Lost Boys is a film for many of those people that was too good to be in their career because after that their career was inevitably going to suffer. Yeah. I thought they like Flatliners. Yeah. Flatliners was, well, Flatliners was the whole, that was supposed to be, you know, the uh, the um, next, like, new Brat Pack kind of coming of age. They were all together in this movie. I think that yeah, Flatliners, Flatliners. Flatliners is an interesting movie in that it's uh, incredibly flawed uh, and people didn't really get it. But if you actually think about Flatliners it's quite audacious really and I think it stands up I mean we'll come back to it I like Flatliners yeah I mean we'll come back to it but I think the thing that has to be noted is that it stands up in the long term because there are a few films that stand up because there's never been anything like them before or since and Flatliners is definitely in that there is nothing quite like Flatliners but I also, again, I like a lot of things that have mythology in them. I like, I mean, later on, things like 13 Ghosts and things like that. And I like the mythology of Lost Boys. I like the whole garlic doesn't work boys line. And I like the whole, you know, this, this whole area where you, most people are vampires and nobody, you know, knows who, who's who and who's what. I like that whole thing. You know? and the, the, there is a good thing about, I mean, when you actually think back on it, and I think this is one of the things that makes it, more fondly remembered the further we go through time is that its mythology was very clear. Yeah. It's like, this isn't going to work. 
that'll work, but only as long as you don't do this. Yeah. This is, and it explains those things, and it sticks to them, and it makes it quite interesting that Joel Schumacher made, you know, uh, Batman and Robin, because it's like this is a guy who at that one time knew how to do a sort of supernatural superhero, super, you know, supernatural movie, a movie with fantastic elements. I say, well, you have to be clear with the audience. You can't dick around with them. You can't change the rules on them or be vague about what's happening. Um, and then later on he makes this film which is just like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. He has he has apologised since then, so <laughs> I, I've, kind of, I've kind of let him go. It's like, he said he was sorry, so we've got to call him move past it, everyone. He know, his career never recovered, though. It didn't mm. matter. He's done some really amazing work since then. Yeah. Nobody, nobody could quite get past it. Yeah. Nobody could it's quite shame, get past it. It's a shame, because, as says, you know, she says he's done some good stuff since, but as says, to me, if you're going to go back and look at his work, go back to Lost Boys and start again. You know, it's, it's a good film. It's it's good fun, if nothing else. As I said, it's got the comedy in it, which I like. I like films that do... As I said, said it before, I like films that do a few things emotionally to me. If you're going to watch something, I don't want a film that's just like one tone. I like things that have a richness of either visual or emotional. And Lost Boys has that thing where, you know, you can be a little bit afraid of it, but at the same time, you can be a little, you can be laughing along with it, and you can be, you know what I mean? Interested Mm. in the drama and the dynamics of it. So, you get a few things with that film, and that's what I think you should get in a film. I think films should always give you a few things. I mean, if you, if you look at it, this is a guy who, maybe his films aren't always you know, at the time, people are like, oh, I'm not sure what this is about. But that's the thing. Sometimes they've been very challenging. And you've got, um, you know, following Lost Boys and Flatliners, uh, you've got Falling Down. Uh, yeah, then he did, Falling Down. Yeah, he did the, pro- pro- arguably one of the, he, he did the, the job on the client. So, because all of those films based on that guy, oh, I can't even remember the name of the author now. That guy who's a lawyer that did the Pelican uh, briefing. God, uh, Grisham? Grisham, yeah. yeah. All those Grisham adaptations. Like, Grisham's books were not the kind of books he adapted into movies, but they kept trying, and he did, you know, he did the business with the client, there's nothing wrong, and A Time to Kill. A Time to Kill is arguably, you know, one of the best Grisham adaptations, along with The Rainmaker. Um, he did, um, and then after Batman and Robin, he turned in 8mm, possibly one of the most alarming movies that has ever come out of a major studio. He's done Tigerland, which everybody said was amazing, genius work. He did uh, Phone Booth, which everybody said was pretty interesting. It's a very interesting movie for the reason that it's only like 72 minutes long, um, which is very short for a movie. Um, he uh, directed the 2004 Phantom of the Opera, um, and, and you know he's done the House of Cards for Netflix recently, the Netflix original. Um, and then you just see interspersed in between these high points, Batman and Robin, um, Bad Company, um, yeah, the number twenty-three, um, yeah, mm. Trespass. Do you know what I mean? It's like he hits these moments where it's like, well, that's even if you don't like the movie, that's interesting. And then there's these movies like, you could try as hard as you like to like this. This is a stinker. I mean, the number 23 still haunts my dreams. How <laughs> awful a movie that was. 
That's quite a list. To quickly review, we have Flight of the Navigator, Top Gun, Neverending Story, The Abyss, and The Lost Boys. And that's like, you know, if you said, Ian, we're having an 80s night, and those were the DVDs we picked out, the random 80s DVD barrel, I think I like, oh, I did quite well. I I think there's, there's... all of them are films like if I if if I, if I were to see them again, I'll be interested to see them. I want to see the Lost Boys again. Actually, now we've had this conversation about it. <laughs> um, it's such a good film. You will sit there laughing your butt off, and that's the thing that I like about that film. Interestingly, as well, for such an eighties movie, yeah. Um, the two things that it the 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 thing about the soundtrack for it is it has some eighties stuff on there, but one of the things that is very iconic from the Lost Boys. Is a Doors record. Yeah. Not very eighties. People are strange when you're strange. But again, it's the mood. It's the it's oh, the yeah. it's the no, feeling absolutely, of the film. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's perfect. It's a perfect little bundle of a film. So yeah, but yeah, go and watch that film again. It's a good film. But yeah, um, as I said, I avoided a lot of the things that people would have expected me to put on there. Big um, was probably up there for me. Um, Labyrinth was up there for me, Princess Bride was up there for me, Ghostbusters mm. was up there for me. But some of them got dismissed for other things that did the same job or were visually well, it, it, It's strange because, you know, when I was compiling my list, it was, it's very much more like putting together an album yeah. than the top five because there's some films there that are probably would be on your top five, but they're too much alike. Yeah. So you kind of have to choose one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, so I had that dilemma, and I was putting my top five, much more like an album yeah. list together. And, and I think you come up with a, quite a nice. It's an interesting list. It's it was not what I was expecting. I would not. I would never have thought you as a Top Gun girl. And, okay. and that it pleases me no end that you are. There's this whole other facet to you. <laughs> I had no idea about you. You like aviation machines? Yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't I have a dream once where Leo had remote control airplanes coming out coming out of his shed once? Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I'm obsessed anyway. with airplanes, yes. <laughs> That's why every time it's motorbikes or aeroplanes that Leo turns to me. The other one I, I he, he, he that disturbed him once was we were having a conversation about firearms once and I knew a bit more about it than Leo did, which disturbed him. <laughs> and Leo has thoroughly researched firearms, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, most... but, yeah, it's the fact that I've got this scary book, <laughs> which is uh, the D20 Modern Guide to Firearms, put together by someone who has far too much like time on their hands. So that's where I get all my scary amount of gun knowledge about it. Uh, but then I actually mentioned the name of one of the guns because it's a very useful when putting together modern day um, role playing campaigns or games set in the last, you know, uh, 30 or 40 years because you can pick out a firearm from that. And that's the thing about it. You'd think that D20 Modern would just give you a bunch of stats about it. But no, the guy's got, you know, he's got proper models. He's got a little bit of uh, potted history of the manufacturing and who uses it and the, the, the features of the gun and to why it does this. You know, like it's talking about how um, Heckler Koch MP4s like, they're, they're used a lot by private security services. But one of the big problems is that they fire so fast that the actual human operator can run out of bullets in a clip before he even realizes he's pulled the trigger and stuff like that. And it, it goes into that kind of detail. So it is quite a scary book. Uh, but very useful for a writer's research. 
But then I mentioned the name of one of the guns once. And so he was like, oh, yeah, that'll be this gun that does this. And I was looking at the notes. And it was exactly so. I was like, did you write this book? What is going on? <laughs> no, there's, I think there's a Mr. and Mrs. Smith moment going on that Sue is really an assassin. That's why she knows about motive, all, all these fast-moving motor vehicles and military equipment and handgun stuff. Don't be fooled, Leo. <laughs> There's a secret cave somewhere full of armaments. I wish. <laughs> well, there we go. So that's that's what we've come to. Do. We've been through the 80s uh, as a sort of a precursor, an hors d'oeuvre, a taster. We set ourselves up. Because you two are probably going to put things in that I did. None of these will make my list, which is not to say that, that, that's wrong, yeah. but but it's 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 a good list because like oh I would not have come at this from this angle. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I've, I've got, we've got so much of the 80s to cover, yeah. I can't possibly commit to anything at this yeah. time. Oh, goodness, no. Yeah, it's very hard. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to push. I think because Star Wars was in the 70s, I'm just going to push it to one side completely for the 80s. In terms of a top five, or is this going to be ridiculous? Well, there's things like Back to the Future, which I avoided, um, which I'm pretty sure might make Leo's list. And there's things like, you know, there's things like Indiana Jones that I not really that bothered about but might make one of your lists and things like that um so there's a lot of big franchises out there that were oh, yeah. 80s as well that i've that i there's there's a whole lot of 80s to cover yeah there's in a lot of so. things i mean one of the things i think might make leo's list is, is um big trouble in little china might do yeah. no yeah. I, I it's quite good because i'm I'm always worried about saying, oh, I like Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters, because in many ways it's it's orthodoxy yeah. of people in, in our genre of interest to, to highlight those films as the big things from the 80s. And I, I do kind of want to go the Sioux way of just being a bit more eclectic about it. And, like, it's a big popular film, and it was probably a huge influence to me at the time, but if you're picking out a favourite, well, it's hard to have have those as favourites, because in many ways they're so, they're so big they belong to everybody. You kind of want to go for... That film where you go, oh yeah, that film, oh yeah, that film is good. Sort so, sort of a list of films. Um, well, that's just Howard well. the Duck nearly made it into my top. <laughs> yeah, ne- no, never did. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> well, um, I think we, we're, we're thoroughly. And to be fair, right? What's really interesting about this is that the 80s is such an amazing period that we've had to take this long a run-up to get to it. But finally mm-hmm. now, you know, news shows and that what notwithstanding and stuff, we're finally ready to commence on, on the main course. And already, I mean, just having researched a bit of 1980, I'm looking through it going, wow, these were, you know, at first our list of 1980 movies, I looked across it and I was like, hmm, not a great year for movies. But then the thing about 1980 I've come to discover in, in retrospect is that, the interesting things were not so much in your face. It was almost like everybody learned from Star Wars, because, of course, Empire Strikes Back was out in 80, that all the major stuff is like, oh, it's a bit ho-hum, really. There's, you know, you've got Empire Strikes Back and Superman 2 duking it out at the top of the list. But apart from that, people pretty much stayed clear and didn't bother. But then where all the interest is is in the little movies, the cheap movies. And that's, that's obviously what we're going to have a look at when we pull apart 1980 in the next year show, which I think is... And there was also Flash Gordon as well. Yeah. Yes. In the, in the meantime, if people were to want to reminisce a bit with us about this or, or tell us a bit about their favourite moments of the 80s or talk about things that they'd like us to, d- to discuss in more detail as we go through the 80s, 
Where might they get in touch with us to do that thing, Ian? Why, Leo, are you trying to instigate my shtick? Very well, then. I shall bite. You could, of course, look us up on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Please go there and like us and leave a comment. We often post little articles up there and stuff like that. And uh, we'll lurk around there and read it. And, of course, you can find it at Facebook. And the address is uh, Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers. So that's 80s Kids. Uh, please go there and like. Uh, but, you can, of course, you can also go directly to the uh, Podomatic page where our glorious podcasts are for the moment stored and of course that's 80s kids and it's 80s as in letters that's e-i-g-h-t-i-e-s kids dot podomatic dot com uh please go there like subscribe leave comment uh subscribe to us in whatever fashion you would like itunes or just directly downloading uh, onto your pc to store away in some folder for your own nefarious reasons we do not mind we do not judge the podcast is here come take it be part of it all um, but Leo can also be found on other avenues of the internet because this isn't enough for him. He wants more. It's his greed. It's always been his problem. But Leo, please tell us of these problems. Well, you can find my blog, which actually is pretty much the podcast at the moment, at leostableford.blogspot.com. I'm also doing a uh, project this year in which I'm writing uh, a, a sort of serial set in a fairy tale kingdom, which is available at bridgetabletales.blogspot.co.uk um, or .com. Um, there is one, and I should possibly add it once again. If you are looking for, it'll get to the point soon where if you're looking for past episodes of the show, you're going to have to get them from an archive, which uh, which I shall be making. Uh, I think I've got a few ideas about how to archive them up. I'm going, but the player, the online web player, that's going to go for the early episodes eventually because we only have limited storage space in our podcast account. So we're working on the, on that at the moment, uh, but if anyone's got any any sort of help they can offer in a more permanent home for the shows uh, going forward, get in touch with us by the means already discussed. Uh, but yeah, so that that's pretty much uh, it. We, yes. we, uh, we're right on the, the threshold and, you know, we're about yes. to step across into this wonderful era. Where we were atop the mountain and we can see the promised land before us. Yeah, the, 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 the mind-boggling amount. Of, of, of material we're going to have to get through. I mean, I've had quite a, an experience just getting through 1980. I've still got one film uh, that I'm pretty keen to watch, and I, I'm just holding all of these 1980 films in my head next to each other and going, that was a crazy year. If you were going to the cinema a lot in that year, you know, just wow. There's so much It's diversity. little wonder we grew into the interesting people that we are, Leo. Yes. Okay, but uh, yeah, that, yes. that's all for the next time. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for your list. Yes, indeed. No problem. Hopefully, it gives people ideas of things to watch. Okay. Yep. Uh, I'm done. You? Yep. And uh, I'm done too. So, next time, 1980. You, baby.